Welcome. Uh, appreciate you joining us on this episode of Connections, Healthy Gambling and Gaming on Lottery Responsible Gaming. I am Tana Russell, Assistant Director with the Evergreen Council on Problem Gambling and have a special uh, co-host today, our very own Executive Director, Maureen Greeley. Thank you, Tana. I'm excited to be here. Christy knows me well. I'm excited to meet Brad. And for your information, Brad, just so you know, I started in this field as communications director at the Washington State Lottery many, many years ago. So I know NASPL well. I know the lottery programs well. And part of my job was being the responsible gambling liaison before we even really knew what that was. So I'm excited to be here today. Excellent, excellent. So, Christy, can you introduce yourself for our guests and just tell us a little bit about how long you've been with uh, the lottery? So, my name is Christy Weeks. I'm the director of legal services in a small agency. That means I wear a lot of hats, and one of them is responsible gambling champion. It's a good fit for me because I spent 16 years at the Department of Health before I came to the lottery three years ago. So I have a really good background in public health issues, including addictions and uh, other similar issues. So when I got to the lottery, uh, they didn't have to ask me too much to take this over. I was really interested in doing it and I'm proud of the work we've done in the last three years. Thank you, fantastic. Uh, glad to have you, it's, it's been a pleasure to get to uh, know you a little bit in the very under the various hats that you wear <laughs> and all the committees that you're a part of. <laughs> Good to have you in our state. And welcome, Brad. Do you want to give a little introduction from the Georgia Lottery? Absolutely. Brad Bohannon with the Georgia Lottery, Vice President for Government Relations. And thank you so much for having me. And thank you for the work that all of you do uh, in Washington and across the country. We certainly appreciate it. Uh, but in my role in government relations, uh, responsible gaming is also part of that portfolio. Uh, there is a lot of leadway there. We have stakeholders within the leg legislature, uh, obviously our play players and our customers, our stakeholders as well. So that communication, that interaction, that education overlap quite a bit. Excellent, excellent. So we had on the show previously um, the North Carolina Education Lottery Program, and, and we're telling us a little bit about the responsible gambling that they do. Um, and so we wanted to bring you guys on to talk about some other approaches that lotteries take. I think when, when people think of responsible gaming and gambling, they, they may be aware of some things that casino facilities might put in place, but for a lottery, it can look a little bit different. Um, so first, what what does responsible gaming uh, mean to, to you, to you personally? We're in such a weird situation as a state lottery because we have a statutory mandate to make as much money as possible for our beneficiaries, which in Washington is primarily education. So there's this push, you know, sell more tickets, make more money, 
uh, raise money for education in the state. But at the same time, as a state agency, we have to be cognizant at all times that we are also selling a gambling product. And there are a lot of people, even within the lottery itself, who don't really understand that lottery is gambling. This is gambling. We're not going to sugarcoat that. We sell a gambling product. And because of our unique relationship as stewards of the state, we have to be cognizant all the time of any potential damaging, damages that we can be inadvertently causing by selling a gambling product. So we have to balance that, make money, but treat our people well and be aware of the, of the difficulties that our product can cause. I'll follow up on that. So Georgia is very similar. Uh, we are also statutorily obligated to promote education through lottery revenue. So we also have to find that constant balance. Uh, but I think, you know, while our mission is to maximize revenues for education programs that we ultimately benefit and support, one of our core missions and responsibilities is to do that in a responsible manner. And I think that means making sure that we're doing everything on our part to create a positive environment for that player, meaning that we are providing resources and education on what it means to play responsibly, uh, what it means uh, that we're providing information so they can make informed decisions about their purchases, uh, that we are encouraging positive player behavior. And when there are concerns and there are circumstances that we are then providing resources and treatment options and assistance uh, for them. Uh, so I think that is our main goal in making sure that we are providing a comprehensive program that stretches across all departments from product development to advertising to marketing to prize validation uh, to actually providing funding assistance to our treatment partners, uh, making sure that that stretches across all business operations uh, to create that positive environment. So I have a follow-up question on that one. You know, it's it's one thing to be able to work and educate and train your lottery staff. You may have 90, 100 staff members at a headquarters office or a regional office is even smaller. So talk a little bit about how you train employees, but even more importantly, how do you reach out to thousands of retail locations and provide education and training for them when they aren't exactly your employees. So a whole different situation than most gaming venues have. Yeah, the retailers aren't our employees in Washington, but we do have a contract with them, a legally binding document. So we can set forth some expectations in that document that they will participate in um, responsible gambling retailer training. And as you well know, Maureen, we are in the uh, process of being verified at the implementation level for responsible gambling. And part of our plan that we're implementing does involve both employee training and retailer training on just how to spot uh, potential problem gambling behaviors and how to offer resources in a way that the person is more likely to accept them. We don't expect our retailers or our staff to be experts in problem gambling because we're not, you are, uh, but we do need them to be able to spot those behaviors and provide help when necessary. So, so far, um, our retailers have been very open to that. We haven't been able to 
implement our entire retailer training program because of COVID, uh, but we are hoping to get right back to that this fall. And very similar to, to Christy and, and what they're doing in Washington, retailers here are obviously not employees, uh, We they but they are our partners and, and they are our, our many times our first interaction with our players. Uh, so we we foster that partnership. We educate them on the importance. Uh, we have communicated to them that uh, they are uh, there to provide resources, not to be counselors, not to intervene, but to know what to look for, what signs to be cognizant of, and to know what options are available. So we have really employed our sales team to communicate that to our retailers. Uh, and then we have developed a retailer training uh, to where there are actually some incentives for retailers uh, when they participate and complete that training. Um, so we, we have done that. Uh, obviously, as Christy mentioned last year, it was a little bit more difficult because there is so much of a retail in, in person to person interaction with that training. Uh, but uh, we've, we found that successful in, in past years. Exciting. So, Christy, you mentioned something about a verification level, and well, you and I know what that is because I am a, a NASPL assessor for the verification programs. For our listeners, tell us what the heck is a, a responsible gaming verification program and what's a NASPL? Well, NASPL is the North American State and Provincial Lottery Association. It's um, the American and Canadian Association for Lotteries. And they are our touchstone. They're a great resource for meeting our peers, sharing information um, in an otherwise very small industry. So they really provide a lot of services for that. And they have partnered with the National Council on Problem Gambling to provide a verification program for state and provincial lotteries who want to um, show that they are taking responsible gambling very seriously. There are three steps. The first verification step is planning. The second is implementation. And the third is sustaining. So two years ago, the Washington's Lottery submitted our plan. And it was, it was reviewed by NASPL and NCPG. And it was um, judged to be a good plan. And so they gave us verification at the planning stage. And we had two years to implement that plan. And now two years later, we have just submitted our proposal to show that we have in fact implemented that plan. And we're hoping to be verified at the implementation stage. And then in a few years, we will uh, apply for sustaining level. And what kind of elements um, are within that plan? What does it entail? Well, the most important elements for, in my opinion, are what we just talked about, um, employee training and retailer training to make sure that our staff and our retailers who are our touchstone out in the public are um, properly aware of their responsibilities um, under the program. But it also means, you know, having a robust website, having um, literature available for our players, having um, a voluntary self-exclusion program that I'm sure we'll talk about um, as we go forward. Um, just making sure that we have all the best practices in place so that we can help our players when they need us. Yeah, and I, I just wanna add to that, you know, from a 
coming from a national perspective too, I think it's in, or from a state perspective that you have a national association who's willing to provide that at no cost to its member lotteries. And I think that's a big step on their part to provide that. And you've already had 20 member lotteries receive verification. I think they, the plan is to get to half of, of, of national lotteries by 2022. Uh, and there's just so much that they provide from an NCPG and a NASPL perspective in terms of resources, surveys, um, best practices, training videos, all things that we can pull from and access. And I think another piece is they offer a mentor program for lotteries that are just starting out. Uh, I know it, it can be pretty daunting going in uh, when you're thinking about making an investment into a program and, and really trying to get it off the ground. But that mentorship and that communication with other lotteries who have gone through it uh, can set expectations, can uh, explain best practices uh, is extremely valuable. Brad and Christy, can you talk about, I certainly have some insight into Christy's answer here, but you mentioned NCPG, the National Council on Problem Gambling, and how closely do you work with the National Council's state affiliate in your state on these responsible gaming initiatives, and what kind of partnership do you have there? So from a Georgia perspective, ours may be a little different. We do work with uh, the National Council quite a bit um, because we are uh, one of the lotteries that has online lotteries. So we go through ICAP certification with them along with the NASPL certification. And we lean on them a lot for resources and surveys and research. Uh, in Georgia, it's a little bit different. We're statutorily, our partner is the Department of Behavioral Health. Uh, so we work very closely with them on treatment and funding and resources and assistance, uh, probably more so than, than other states where they would work uh, directly with their individual counsel. Yeah, I don't think I need to, to say to you, Maureen, but, but to the listeners there, how much I rely on you. Uh, it, it's just been a godsend to have our state affiliate who, has lottery experience and also a great relationship with the National Council. Uh, there, are, there are just things that we don't always know. You know, when we wanted to, you know, create a message from our marketing standpoint, from our lottery standpoint, it may be a great message, but what does this message look like from a problem gambling standpoint? So we are always so happy to have you just up the street and always willing to help. And it's, it's important because we have to always remember that we're not the experts. There are experts that can help us though. And, and we need to take advantage of that. And I, we do. We love that partnership too, so thank you. Um, one of the things that's in the NASPL Responsible Gambling Guidelines is something that there's not a lot of in this field, and that is an emphasis on research and evaluation. What steps do you take at either of your lotteries to implement any kind of research or evaluation that could be meaningful in these responsible gambling initiatives? I can take that one first, Christy, if, you, if you're okay. Mm -hmm. um, but you know that that is that is a big undertaking. That's a big proposition, and we have um, had the ability to work with research institutions um, in the state before to try to set a baseline on where we are uh, and work towards improvement on that. But we've also been able to employ 
uh, information from our players as well uh, through various player surveys, marketing research studies, uh, where we have communicated social media content directly with them and tried to solicit that feedback from them one on what they're aware of and what our baseline on education about our program is and then soliciting feedback from them as well on how we can improve and in effective means of communicating what is available as well uh, so we've kind of looked at it from from both those angles through research institutions as well as us communicating directly with our with our players here in Washington, we've had um, not a lot of research into problem gambling. Um, our last prevalence study is very, very old. Um, we're actually in the process as a state, not as a lottery, but the state as a whole of going through another prevalence study. And we're really excited uh, to see what the outcome of that is. And uh, one of my goals in being on that task force was to make sure that we separate out some questions specifically about lottery, because we wanna know exactly how lottery impacts problem gambling, because lottery players are different than other gamblers and we don't wanna just lump them all together. We wanted some specific information. So we're excited about that. And we're also just now in the process of implementing player panels. We haven't had that at the lottery for many, many years. And we kind of lost that that connection with players. They're, they're happy when they win and they're happy to tell us when they think we've done something wrong. But we don't really just have that day-to-day back and forth input relationship with them that we'd like. So we're in the process of getting that um, set back up and, and it'll be exciting to see what our players tell us about how we're doing apart from how they feel about a specific game or, or a specific win or loss. Could we talk for a minute about any changes you might have seen? I'm thinking on the topic of research and research is limited at this point, but any changes you've seen as far as pandemic impacts in the past couple of years, sales going up, sales going down, um, any trends you've kind of noticed? Well, I don't know about Georgia, but we had a banner year last year. Um, fiscal year 2020, which um, was, we don't know why. I can speculate and I will speculate here in Washington, our casinos were closed for three, four months and um, other entertainment outlets were closed or greatly reduced. And we, we've had a huge increase in sales. We went from 818 million to over 950 million. Wow. Um, of course, we're happy about that because we're able to contribute more to our beneficiaries, uh, including responsible gambling fund. Uh, we don't see that that's really going to continue. We've kind we've kind of leveled off and went back to more normal sales, but it does appear that during COVID people were looking for entertainment and the lottery was available. And we are, we're grateful for that um, in terms of sales and beneficiaries, but we don't expect it to last. In, in Georgia, we are the only gaming entity. There, there are no casinos, anything else. So similar to what Christy was saying, we saw 
an initial dip in March when shelter-in-place orders began um, in sales, but then shortly after that, uh, end of April, May, uh, we went into a record fiscal year last year. So our returns to our beneficiaries were up over 300 million. So we returned a little over a billion and a half dollars to education. Uh, so that was a record year for us. Uh, so similar to Christy, we saw um, we saw the benefit there for our beneficiaries from other forms of entertainment being being shut down. Um, but we did make some adjustments uh, along the way to try to be mindful of our players. I mean, we did when shelter and order places hit, we did pull back on all retail advertising. So and, and focused our efforts more towards providing resources to retailers who were staying open because of the essential services that they provide and focus more of those instead of advertising, focus more of those efforts on providing them signage and resources to CDC and messaging to players uh, that were still coming in and out of retail outlets. And we had to be very careful with our retailers too, because even though they were essential businesses, you know, they are primarily convenience stores and big box grocery stores. So they did stay open, but not all of our retailers were comfortable in the early periods of the pandemic with selling lottery tickets because of the hand-to-hand -hand contact that they were a cash business. Um, uh, the, you know, people touching the vending machines and you know, nobody really knew how transmittable uh, COVID was at that point from, from touch as opposed to um, respiration. So when we had retailers who were not comfortable selling lottery tickets, even though they were contractually required to do it, we were very, very understanding. We did not force anyone to continue to sell tickets if they did not want to. Um, there were no um, negative effect, impacts for them whatsoever because you know, they were out there risking their lives, providing services to people in the early times of the pandemic. And we did not want to add to their physical or emotional stress. Absolutely, that's a great point. And I think we, we did the same in Georgia as far as, far as providing additional lead time for sweeps, uh, no, no pressure, uh, leniency on, on if there was any issues uh, and if they weren't, weren't selling at previous levels or if they made the decision that they just weren't comfortable selling. Mm -hmm. So Brad, you touched a little bit on the question I was going to ask you, anticipated it, thank you. And that had to do with advertising and marketing messages. Not only during the pandemic did they change, which you addressed a little bit, but do both of your lotteries follow the NASPL advertising guidelines? And what sort of guidelines do those offer you in terms of advertising and marketing around responsible gaming messaging? Yes, from our perspective, we, we definitely have a set criteria when it comes to marketing messaging. Uh, as part of our policies and procedures, we use the NASPL guidelines to guide us on that uh, to make sure that we're not um, promoting irresponsible play, that we're not promoting to minors. Uh, we're very careful not to uh, target any specific demographic. Um, so we're very conscientious of that and, and it is reviewed uh, within our responsible gaming uh, panel uh, each time before any advertising goes to market uh, that we're meeting all that necessary criteria. Yeah, and I would echo that. Uh, we try to be very, very careful 
um, that we're not marketing to minors or disadvantaged communities. As a matter of fact, that's specifically in the contract with our marketing company that that is not to be done. We tend to not market for specific games so much as just lottery awareness. Department of Imagination. Um, do you know about the Department of Imagination and, and do you dream big and do you want to dream together and things like that as opposed to, you know, here's a new scratch ticket, go buy it. Um, but when we do advertise for specific games, yes, we rely heavily on, on NASPL's marketing and their standards um, because those are the best practices. Why would, why would we not take advantage of that? Can you talk a little bit about more about underage specifically in light of campaigns again that are partnerships like the holiday scratch campaign that I know Washington participates in I don't know if Georgia does looks like yes, can you talk about that and the partnership and how that came about. I can't actually speak to how it came about because it came about before I joined the lottery and it was just there and I was grateful for it, but it. There's, there's a lot of misconceptions, of, at least in Washington, about minors and being able to play the lottery. A minor in Washington cannot buy a lottery ticket, but they can be gifted a ticket. So if, if a parent or someone else wants to buy lottery tickets for a child, the child can receive that ticket and can win and claim that ticket. That doesn't mean it's a good idea. And that's what we have to get across in Washington is okay, it might be legal, but it's not a good idea because we know, we know as an industry, but not the average parent may not be aware of how early problem gambling can take effect with, with a, a minor. The percentages that we know in Washington of children who gamble are twice as high as, a, as adults when it comes to problem gambling because, uh, but people don't recognize it necessarily as problem gambling because it's just a lottery ticket in a Christmas stocking. It, you know, it's just a, a video game, et cetera, et cetera. It's just things children do. So we have to walk that line between, yeah, it's legal. It's just not a good idea. And we do partner with um, NCPG and NASPL for the holiday gift giving campaign to gift responsible. And we also participate in March with Problem Gambling Month. But we can't just focus on those two times of the year. It needs to be a more consistent message. And we do try and, and um, relay that message as often as possible while still maintaining lottery as a, as a fun, entertaining activity. Um, so, you know, it's, it's a careful balance, as I said earlier, always between we want to sell tickets, but we want to do it responsibly. I think Christy said it very well. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I think it's it's that partnership with NASPL and NCPG those two times a year uh, that is really intense and really focused uh, across all lotteries. And I think 100% of lotteries actually participated, member lotteries participated in the holiday campaign last year. And the, that partnership with NASPL and NCPG really makes it easier because again, they're providing resources, they're providing best practices, they're providing social media content for messaging. Uh, so we have really had the ability to lean on that and ramp up what we do in those two months. Um, we also are very conscientious of making sure it's a year round campaign. 
Um, but those two months are very focused and we do tap into a lot of the resources that come uh, from NASPL and NCPG. And the only other thing I will mention too, uh, in regards to minor play is because we are, um, we, we are one of the lotteries that offer internet play. Uh, but we also have invested very heavily into know your customer tools that age verification, um, as well as really kind of cutting down on the ability and the options as far as how many times you can try without setting up an account and then putting in all that information and verifying your age and making sure it's tied. Uh, to a bank account and not credit and all those type of things. Um, so that's been a big focus on our end too, is to limit those opportunities as much as possible uh, while at retail focusing on, you know, yes, lottery is fun and entertaining product, but it's not meant to, to be played by kids. And that's, that's how your state is so much different than ours. We do not have online sales in any way. Um, so all of our sales are at retail and they're anonymous. You know, we don't know who our players is. There isn't that opportunity for know your player. And, and that's unfortunate. You know, we do have mechanisms um, like with our vending machines, the retailer who may be across the store has a button where if they see um, a child trying to access the vending machine, they can just turn off the vending machine from anywhere in the store. But that is a manual process. You know, it's not something that we can do like an online account where we can verify age for every purchase. And that's unfortunate. And another thing that is a difficult balance when it comes to minors is making sure that our tickets aren't especially attractive to minors, our, our scratch tickets. There are a lot of things that are attractive equally to adults and to children. And we have to weigh that, okay, this is, this is attractive to everyone equally, but is it especially attractive to children? And there are just some categories and we actually have a, a guideline for our scratch tickets that say there, there are just some things that are never going to be acceptable. You know, um, if, if, you know, we're not going to do candy. We're not going to do um, well-known cartoon characters. But when it comes to say our holiday tickets, we're gonna, maybe we're gonna have Santa Claus on our holiday ticket. And that is attractive to a child. A child sees Santa and thinks this is good stuff, whatever this is going to be. Um, so can we make that Santa a little less cartoony and a little more, uh, you know, like just like a regular person in a red suit. So, you know, we, we talk about this and go through a, a long process of what is especially attractive to children. Um, thank, thank you for all of that. I really, really appreciate it. And I, I wanted to touch on for a minute, if there's any listeners like scratching their head, like what's what's the deal with underage gambling? You know, what's the problem with the kid doing a scratch ticket? I did scratch tickets as a kid, I'm fine, you know. Um, so basically part of it is, you know, brain development. Kids' brains are still developing and that works very much in their favor when they're trying to learn a new language or an instrument, they pick it up much faster than adults, but it works against them in terms of addictive behaviors. And one of the things we know is that exposure to gambling and, and substances and such, normalization of those things 
at a young age increases the likelihood that that child will end up with an addictive disorder later on. Now, does that mean every child who gets exposed to those things ends up addicted? Of course not, but we don't know who will and who won't, right? We can't predict that. And it's really our responsibility as adults to give children the best chance we can of a healthy life. And that means we've got to do our part to help prevent that normalization, to help educate, to educate the parents, et cetera. Um, and so I just wanted to, to help explain that a little bit for, for adults that are like, well, I'm fine and everybody in my family's fine. Yeah, but we can't predict who, who will and who won't. And some, some young people have a lot of things working against them. They have no control over whatsoever. Um, others have more protective factors going on in their lives. And so it's just really important we, uh, we keep them safe and well-educated so that they can uh, grow up with good opportunities and skills to make good decisions for themselves. Very well said. Yeah. And along those same lines, I think it's important always when we're together um, with our partners in the gaming industry to mention that the percentage of people who are affected negatively by gambling and gaming is small. Um, that being said, if you are or someone you love is part of that group, you don't care what the numbers are. You care that your family and your loved ones are hurting. So it says a lot that the industry wants to do something to make a positive difference and to prevent harm wherever possible. One of the things that Brad, you mentioned, um, we don't know, Washington has been fairly conservative in terms of expansion of gambling in some ways. In other ways, we're seeing sports wagering come to Washington, but you're already into the blurring lines between gambling and gaming and internet and you know what's happening there. You mentioned some tools. Are there any game or equipment features or player tools that you have now or you anticipate in the future to help people other than maybe limiting how long they can play before they have to sign up for an account? Yeah, so to, to kind of follow up on what Christy was saying, I mean, we, we've seen the advantages from an internet play perspective because we can offer more controls. It is difficult. Uh, it's different than a casino environment. And in Georgia, we have 8,600 retail environments that are all very different and independently operated. So it's very difficult to control that as opposed to one casino location. Um, when it comes to internet though, we have the ability to uh, not only offer, like we do at retail, but to offer self-exclusion, but to impose mandatory daily, weekly, and monthly time limits, to impose daily, weekly, and monthly um, deposit limits. Uh, whereas in retail, that's, a, that's a much more difficult. Um, but we have the ability to do that. Um, now, the players obviously have the ability to go below that and set their own limits if they choose to, but we do have a max there. Uh, we also have the ability from an age verification, know your customer. Um, in Georgia, we don't allow credit, which we can control at retail and, on, and online, obviously. Um, but those, but those controls are, we find easier and, and you have that direct communication with a player, whereas in a retail, you don't have that direct interaction. Uh, that interaction is between a retailer and the player. Um, so we've actually seen, uh, some, some benefits there. 
and uh, and we were able to impose some some different things, like a, just going through them again, but deposit limits, time limits, uh, self exclusion, direct messaging, uh, all of those type of things, and, and direct age verification. So you mentioned self exclusion, and that again is a very different animal when it comes to lotteries than it is for a brick and mortar casino where you can actually have someone stopped or when they do win a prize and it comes up on their player card you can you can say oops you signed up for the self-exclusion program christy i know that the lottery is rolling out a brand new program for the lottery statewide self-exclusion what does that look like when is it going to take place and then brad maybe you can talk about whether there's anything similar in georgia well, in 2019, the legislature directed the lottery to um, implement a voluntary self-exclusion program by July 1st, 2021. Uh, we went live on July 1st, 2021. So just a little over a month ago, we haven't had anybody sign up yet, but that's okay because we're not measuring success by how many people sign up, we're measuring success by the fact that we now have this very valuable tool available for people when they need it and if they need it. So um, for us, voluntary self-exclusion, I think it's very similar to other programs across the state. Uh, a person can still buy a lottery ticket. There was no feasible way to stop people from buying a lottery ticket. So um, if, our, our retailers and our vending machines can't be expected to check ID on every single um, transaction to make sure that the person is not on the voluntary self-exclusion list. So someone can still buy a ticket, but if they have a ticket that is a winner over $600, that means they have to be paid by the lottery directly as opposed to a retailer. So that is, that's the point where we can catch um, any uh, unpermitted play. So if somebody has signed up for voluntary self-exclusion as a tool for them to use to help themselves, they go ahead and buy a ticket, they win over $600, bring it to the lottery, then we would not pay that and that money would default to the problem gambling account. Yeah, I think we, we encountered the same difficulty that Christy spoke to, too, when we developed our self-exclusion program. Uh, there's, there's really no way across all those retail outlets to expect to put that burden uh, on the retailer. So similar, we have, we have focused all of our attention on providing education to the players that this is available and this is what this means. If you sign up for this program, doesn't mean that you won't be able to have the ability to go pay and, and buy a lottery ticket, but we will enforce not paying it if you sign up for this program. So I think we've really focused all of our education there on saying, hey, this is what it means. This is what it entails. This is what is available to you. And from a corporate perspective, making sure that if you're signed on, sign up on that list, not only are we not paying you a ticket, but we are ceasing all communication. Uh, from a social media content, from a mail content, from advertising and marketing to what we can control from our end. Um, you know, from a TV perspective, it's a little more difficult, but, uh, but, but all the things that we can control, making sure that that person is communicated, that they have signed up for self-exclusion and we're communicating that across all departments and we're ceasing all interaction with that player. And that's a great point, Brad. Yeah, and I think from our end, 
Um, we also uh, give the player the option to sign up for time periods, you know, six months, 12 months, 18 months, but we also make, make it very clear to that player there's no automatic reinstatement. When you get to the end of your time, you have to contact us and go through the process of reinstating your account. We will not do so automatically. That's a really important tool because having an active reinstatement puts the responsibility on the player. And that's a really, people don't often understand that self-exclusion is just that. It's, a, it's an individual's tool to help themselves. And it's not the lottery's responsibility to stop them from playing. It's the responsibility to help them use that as a tool for themselves. I think another thing people don't often understand unless you've either worked at a lottery or you've collected a prize is that corporate responsibility aspect that that is true also if you owe back child support payments, if you have any kind of debt or obligation, the lottery has the right to be able to say, we need to take that out of your winnings as well and make sure that those are covered. And can you talk a little bit about that? Because I think it's an amazing thing that people don't know about. I think from a Georgia perspective, we, we not only have the right, but we are statutory obligated to do so. Um, so it's not discretion. If, if you owe child support, back taxes, uh, education, state, federal government, we, we, do have to, we do have to back that out before we pay your, your winnings. Yeah, and it's, it's the same in Washington. Um, any government agency has the ability to submit a list of debtors to us, and then we check our winners um, against that list. Not every state agency takes advantage of it. I'm not sure why, but uh, definitely back child support. We, we pay a lot of back child support on behalf of our players. Another area of exclusion that's really important is I know when I first applied for a job with the lottery, one of the questions in my interview was, how do you feel about not being able to play lottery games? Is that kind of employee exclusion from playing because of perceptions, because of potential issues? Is that across the board in North America for lotteries or do lotteries get to make that determination of their own? And what sorts of programs and supports do you have available for employees if they have any concerns? Well, your experience with Washington is, is my experience with Washington. So our employees cannot play. It gets a little harder when we start going out to our vendors. Our vendors are very important partners for us. Um, and in some cases, they're as close to our operations as our own employees. So we have to judge that individually, like whether or not um, our vendors, our particular vendors will be allowed to play. It's funny because when I was asked that same question during, during my application process, you know, you, you couldn't play the lottery. And I was okay with that because I wasn't a lottery player. But then after you are around lottery day in and day out and you see the fun tickets and you see people winning then you're like why didn't i ever play <laughs> so we do sometimes go to other states because we can we can buy scratch tickets in other states and we will um and we will purchase them and um, bring them back as gifts for our coworkers. so just because we work in the industry doesn't mean we don't have any play at all and we do have to offer 
um, responsible gambling messages to our own staff because they can play in other states, they can play in casinos, they can go to Las Vegas. So just because we work in the industry does not mean we're immune and, and we have to be aware of the resources that are available for our employees. Yeah, again, very similarly, I you know asked that during my interview process. I, I didn't want to share it voluntarily because I benefited from lottery funds and a college education, but I also had never played the lottery um, <laughs> coming into this role. Uh, so it wasn't an issue for me at the time, but I think Christy nailed it as well. But once you get into this environment, you, you see the benefits of it, uh, you see where the funds go, and then you have the interaction with other states and the ability to play in other states. Uh, same way in Georgia, uh, employees cannot play. Uh, anyone 18 years of age, and a direct uh, family member living under the same household is also restricted from playing. Uh, so it does extend It does extend to that. Um, and I think obviously it is a perception issue and it's, it's, it's a great thing to have in place um, for the integrity of the games, for the trust with your players. Uh, but I think we are also very mindful when we do that employee training that we know that our employees can go to other states and play. And again, as Christy said, we are, we are not immune to the problems just because we, the potential problems just because we work at a lottery. So we educate our employees um, just as we would our players. What about the consortium games? Um, when it comes to Mega Millions, Powerball, who decides what kinds of responsible gaming messaging goes on those games? Does each state do their own or is that a joint effort between the multiple states involved in those games? My understanding that's a joint effort by the national associations to those guiding principles around those games. Um, obviously, each state benefits from the sale of those tickets in their states. Um, but as part of the consortium, that is, a, you know, as far as how the games are operated and the messaging around those. Well, the messaging around the games can be individual by state. So I guess the, the advertising policy would be guided. But as far as the operation, and the overall uh, policies around those games, those are going to be guided by the national associations. Yeah, it, it's a little complicated because, you know, there's one consortium for Mega Millions, there's one for Powerball, and states tend to belong to one and the other. Washington is a Mega Million state. So we have a voting interest in the decisions that are made for Mega Millions. We don't have a voting interest for the decisions that are made for Powerball. But regardless, we apply our advertising guidelines to all games equally. And as I said earlier, we don't really advertise heavily on an individual game, but more on our brand in general. So we apply the same messages across the board. And we have never had, in my experience, a time when a message that was coming from one of the governing bodies for the national games conflicted in any way with with ours or with the national associations messages and brad you had mentioned being a beneficiary in in georgia the education funds go in part to scholarships to help students who need them um, i think often people don't understand that every state is different in where their lottery funds may go and that may be mandated or that may be a corporate decision 
in Washington, it's now predominantly education. At one point, there was a quite a bit still committed to stadium construction in the state. But one thing I think people are not clear of is the fact that in most lotteries, a portion of net revenues does indeed go to support prevention, education, and treatment for problem gambling and responsible gaming. Christy, can you talk a little bit about how that works in Washington and where the money goes? Well, as we talked about, our primary beneficiary is the Washington Opportunity Pathways account, which is an educational account. And from that account, um, the lottery is the sole contributor to that account. And then that account is appropriated out by the legislature. And in recent years, it's gone out fairly equally to um, college scholarships and grants, um, early childhood education. People don't really think about that. We give about 40 million per year to uh, early childhood education. And then charter schools are also supported um, through the WAPA fund. Now we do give smaller amounts to other beneficiaries. There was the stadium payment fund where we're paying for what is now Lumen Field that ended um, on December 31st of last year. So the 13 million or so that we were paying each year for that will now default into WAPA. So that's just more for our educational beneficiaries. We do have the economic development fund that we contribute a small amount to, the general fund a small amount. And then our law actually says 13 one hundredths of 1% goes for problem gambling. And uh, I think we would like to give more than that, but that is how the legislature has um, directed us to contribute to that. And it, depending on uh, how much we earn in a year, that could be somewhere between 400 and $500,000. So, you know, it, it's a sizable amount of money, but it's never enough. Right. And just so people know that money goes to the state problem gambling program, which is run through healthcare authority in our state. And then that money is distributed out to help pay for treatment reimbursement to treatment providers and education and prevention programs. So um, in Georgia, Brad, is it something similar? It, it is. So in Georgia, we are 100% uh, of our proceeds of our profit goes to a lottery for education account. And that account, that money is appropriated annually by the legislature, but for two specific educational purposes, being pre-K and the HOPE scholarship. Hope Scholarship is a merit-based scholarship where if you are attending uh, any state institution, uh, then your tuition is paid out of that scholarship. Um, so and that has been that case since 1993. If there, if there were to be any change into what lottery dollars fund, it would have to be a constitutional amendment changed by the legislature and ultimately the voters to change that dynamic. But also in the law, in addition to funding that account, uh, we also are uh, send money annually to the Department of Behavioral Health for treatment centers and a crisis and access hotline and uh, that continued education and um, investment in those centers in that hotline to make sure they are appropriately um, manned and operated for any problem gambling assistance. You know, 
in prepping for this episode, I was checking out the Washington and Georgia lottery websites and the NASPL website. And it, one thing on this that stood out to me is I, I used to be a CASA at one point and on NASPL's website, uh, they show that some of the unclaimed prize money goes to a corn appointed special advocate fund. And I'm like, oh, I didn't even know I might've benefited from that a little bit in that work. So it, it's nice to see uh, just such a variety of, of things that these um, funds contribute to across the board, which is really nice. And for our listeners, if you do go to either the Washington or Georgia lottery websites, what we're referring to on their responsible gambling and voluntary self-exclusion information is really easy to find. Go to the homepage, scroll all the way to the bottom. It's in the main navigation bar right there at the bottom of the homepage. So you can find it pretty easy. So I appreciate that your websites make that easy to find. That's great. I think we have covered all of our, <laughs> thank you for being interrogated here. You've done great. Uh, <laughs> all of our main points for you. Maureen, did you have any uh, last questions for our guests? I don't know that I have any last questions um, other than I think there has been a big evolution in an understanding at the staff level in lotteries. When I first came to the lottery, there was often still a sense, particularly with the sales staff of, gosh, these are the people who bring us the most money. Why do we wanna hurt our bottom line by having responsible gambling messages? And I think over the years and decades, we've learned that that's absolutely not the case that being a responsible corporate citizen is good for business, not, not the other way around. So can you maybe just end with some thoughts on how responsible gambling is good for lotteries and for the people you serve? Yeah, I'm happy to take a crack at that first. But to your point, I think it's, it was always finding that balance. Yes, we have a mission to fund education, but we also have a responsibility to be a great corporate citizen. And I think from our perspective, we have seen record sales years and record years of returns to education every year since we've implement, implemented a responsible gaming program. Uh, so that impact and that correlation has not been there. Uh, so we have been able to appropriately find that balance. But I think from a player perspective, it's so important for them to see it builds trust and integrity in our product. It shows that we're willing to have an investment in our players, that we do care about that they're doing so in a responsibly way, in a responsible way. And I think that just builds that trust. I don't think unless you show that you care about your player and that you have trust, that you are conscientious of building trust and integrity in your product, I think it makes it very difficult to promote and sell a product without those two things. Uh, so I think we have really seen the benefit from that. Um, and again, no, no corresponding negative correlation to, to sales, so. Yeah, and I think it's a myth that the problem gamblers are the big gamblers because that's not necessarily true. Someone could have $10,000 to lose and that's not a problem because they have $10,000 to lose. Someone else could not have $10 to lose. And if they lose that $10, it's a really big deal and it's a problem. So we, we don't believe that by um, helping problem gamblers not play the lottery or play more responsibly that we're losing money. We, we just don't um, look at it that way. 
And we also have spent a lot of time looking at who, who's our target player? Who are we trying to get to play the lottery? And, you know, we're looking at the, the 35 to 40 year old college educated, um, you know, just bought a house, starting a family. You know, these are the people we're looking at, the millennials. And what do millennials care about? They care about corporate responsibility. They want to do business and spend their money with a company that they think gives back to their community. So we think it only helps our, our image, our brand, our sales, when we are able to show this target population that yes, we are a, a responsible corporate partner. We care about our people. We care about our community. We want to do the right thing. That helps them trust us. And when they trust us, they want to interact with us. So it only helps our business. Love it. Thank you much. <laughs> and is is there any, um, I just wanted to give you guys an opportunity if you were sitting on your hands on anything you wanted to, to throw out there, I wanted to make sure you had a chance to do so. I'm good. This has been very comprehensive and funner than I thought it was going to be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, we appreciate it. Yeah, I just want to say thank you for allowing me to join and thanks again for, for doing this and for all your efforts. Thank you. Well, back at you. Thank you very, very much. We really appreciate it. And uh, I think this really helps people to have a, a better understanding of how all of these things intersect between having a product and a business and corporate responsibility and taking care of customers and impacts on families. And I just really appreciate it. Thanks for listening to our podcast. Here's where to find us. You can learn more about the Evergreen Council on Problem Gambling on our website at www.evergreencpg.org. Also find us on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram. You can find out more about the Oregon Council on Problem Gambling at www.oregoncpg.org and also on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Please know that if you or a loved one is seeking help from problems caused by gambling, any shape, form, or fashion, you are not alone. Help is available. This is what we do for a living. So please, you can get help. You can access it easily 24-7 through the Washington Problem Gambling Helpline at 1-800-547-6133 or the Oregon Problem Gambling Helpline at 1-877-MY-LIMIT. That's 1-877-695-4648. Either of those helplines is available to call or text or by chat through our websites and can direct you to help services and resources near you. So please call. They're there to help talk and refer. There's help for anyone affected by problems caused by gambling, whether their own gambling or someone else's. And we love seeing people get the help they need to live the life they want.